0: If you had to live life over again, what would you do differently? I mean, what's the thing that you would do absolutely different than you did this time around if you got to do it over again? And my guess is that the, the answers here would be various and a sundry. But maybe for you, it would be to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And if that is on your list, don't call me. I'm not going with you. But good luck. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe it's ha- hike the Appalachian Trail and you'll start up at the East Coast and head down to Alabama on that three-month adventure that usually takes. Uh, it, it could possibly be that you just love all your kids and your, your spouse more. Maybe you, you will discover at this point, you know, I've kind of been a workaholic and I needed to invest in some more important things than, than work. It could be that I, I'm going to choose to go to a college football game because I've never been to one and I want to feel the atmosphere. For some of us here, maybe it was I I would never have kissed that redhead on the back of the school bus. Not that there's anything wrong with redheads. Maybe it could be I would never have gone to OU, and for that, I would give you a thumbs up. Good job. Good thinking. Good thinking. You know, there was a, a nationwide survey sent out to folks in their mid 90s to ask this question If you had life to do over again, what would you do differently? And there were lots of different answers, but there were three that kind of bubbled to the the top, and one would be to reflect more, one would be to risk more, and one would be to do more. And those have got to be shaken out like, I would really intentionally think about my thought process and where I'm going, what I'm doing. I would reflect more on what I'm actually doing in life. The other is risk more, which means I would do things out of my comfort zone. I would get out of the little bubble I've created and go, go do some things in life. And the last one would be, I would do some things that are going to outlive me. I would do more. What would you do? if you had the opportunity to live life over again. Now, most of us in here would place God in one of three categories. Even atheists will do this. Uh, But one of those three categories might be that you choose to ignore God. Uh, Another one might be that you just despise God because you don't feel like maybe he's come through with you for you in the life that you're currently living. Uh, The third category would be I adore God. So ignore, despise, adore. And most of us that follow Jesus Christ would wrap our arms around Category 3. That's where I'm going to be. That I want to adore God, and most of us would claim to do that. But I dare say that there are some of us who, who live a kind of life that kind of tip our hat to God maybe once a week, and the other six days, we're just living life out the way we've planned it, our agendas, how we think things should go. And we put ourselves in Category 3, and you might not actually be in Category 3 three. There's a lot of opportunity for us to consider and think about as we've studied the Psalms, what that would look like really for us. And the psalmist today is going to give us four appropriate answers to God. If we truly believe in Him, if we want Him to be the ruler of our life, if we want to follow Jesus Christ closer than we ever have before, there are four things our psalmist today is going to tell us that our life should look like. And we're going to be in Psalm 100 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in a few moments. All of our texts will be on the screen, of course, uh, if you choose to go that route. Our, Our text this morning is very short. It's five verses, but church, it is oh so powerful. It is one of those chapters that just kind of get you up in the morning and make you smile ear to ear. Let's jump in and begin reading. First one, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Church, that is an awesome text, isn't it, about an awesome God? If you believe that God is incredibly awesome, say amen. Amen. I mean, that is who he is to us, and that kind of text just kind of gets the blood boiling, doesn't it? It gets going in the morning, and we're reminded of how incredible our God truly is And again, there are four things that we can pull out of this text that remind us this is the kind of life that we should be having if we truly believe God is who he claims to be. And the first one is this, that we're called to worship him joyfully. Worship the Lord joyfully. Verse 1 and verse 2 begin by saying, Make a joyful shout or a noise. Come before him with joyful singing. And we believe this text was used early on in temple worship. It was a call to worship. The Levitical priest would be reciting this at the gates of the temple as they called pilgrims in to begin worshiping God Almighty. And even today, we know that this text is used as a call to worship for synagogues all over the world. But the text starts with, Shout with joy. Why that phrase? Well, it seems that in ancient times that as people were gathered around their leader, their king, they would be asked to shout with joy in the presence of the king, and it was an affirmation of how strong the king was, how much he provided for his people, and how great a person he truly was. And so as we think about God Almighty in our own lives, the psalmist says, shout with joy before the Lord because he's done so much for us. It's a great way to express that the king is strong. And there are lots of opportunities in our Old Testament to dig through different uh, stories about how this kind of comes to fruition. I want to give you four this morning real quickly. The first one is in Numbers chapter 23. There is a a moment where Israel is coming into the land. They are conquering Canaan, and there is a a local king who is a little upset that they're so close to his border. And so King Balak hires a seer or a a local prophet who's not an Israelite. He hires a guy named Balaam to come and curse the Israelites. And so he shows up, the king pays Balaam. And every time Balaam goes to curse the Israelites from a mountaintop, he looks down and he just sees some would say millions of Israelites in the valley. And God approaches Balaam and he says, you're not allowed to curse. You can only bless Israel. Well, the king is upset. He's kind of throwing a fit, and look, I paid you to curse these folks and you are continuing to bless them. And here's what Balaam says about the situation. He says, the Lord, their God is with them and the shout of the king is among them. Balaam recognizes that God Almighty is with the Israelites as they conquer the land. A second story that you will know and be familiar if you grew up in church at all is in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land, and the first city that they have to conquer is the town of Jericho. And so we know that uh, every day they march around the walls of Jericho, and on the final day they march several times around the wall of Jericho, and in one moment, Joshua asked them to shout to the Lord. And he says, shout for the Lord, for he has given you this city and the walls come tumbling down. Shout to the king. There's another great story in 1 Samuel where the Israelites and the Philistines are doing battle. They're on the battlefield, and it's kind of going both ways until finally the Philistines seem to be overtaking the Israelites, and in in a little bit of panic and a need to to be reaffirmed, the the leaders of the Israelites call in the Ark of the Covenant to come onto the battlefield. Now, how many Indiana Jones folks have we got out here? Raise your hand if you'd like. You know, there's a brand new one coming out, and, and Harrison Ford is actually in that one. I'm guessing there's a lot of CG. I'm not exactly sure, but... The very first Indiana Jones was Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he's looking for this Ark of the Covenant, okay, in the movie. It's not, a, it's not a historical movie, okay. just So the Israelites call for the Ark of the Covenant, which is this beautiful golden box, which represents the very essence of God, the very presence of God. They bring it onto the battlefield, and as the Ark enters the middle of the battle, All of Israel begins to shout. And it says that they shouted so loud because the presence of the king was among them that the earth literally shook. And in that moment, the Philistines recognize something is going on. They look and see the Ark of the Covenant and they concede the battle. They're going to lose. It's a beautiful moment when the king is recognized. And there's, there's a moment where Israel is taken into Babylonian captivity, and they're gone away from Jerusalem for about 70 years. And finally, the king relents and allows them to go back home to rebuild the temple and to be re- rebuild the, temple, uh, the the city walls of Jerusalem. Uh, that's in Ezra and Nehemiah. And the leader, Ezra, once the temple is rebuilt and rededicated, he says in chapter 3, calls all of Israel to shout to the Lord. For his presence has been restored. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful people is in keeping with his nature and his acts. Now, we can't use text really to decide one way or another. A cappella, singing, instrumental singing. What we can prove through text, though, is that we're all called to sing. We're called to raise our voices and shout with joy to the Lord for what he's done for us, church. That's the kind of people we're called to be. But it's interesting along the way, over my 30 years in ministry, as I've talked to people about singing or not singing, I get two or three different rebuttals, excuses, if you will. And the first one, as you probably might have guessed, is well, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, I don't need to be singing. It just reminds us that if we all sing louder, we'll drown them out. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Sing out. But if I could say gingerly this morning, if that's your excuse, get over it. Because God has challenged us to raise our voices to him, the almighty king. I mean, Jesus even says this in Mark chapter 12, verse thirty and 31, doesn't he? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, with everything that you have, love and praise our holy, incredible God. And if that's not your excuse, it might be something like, well, I, I just don't feel like it today. And I've said that before myself. But can I say, even though difficult moments happen in our life and we might feel that way it's an act of will for us to say that we have to have the mindset that God deserves everything from us every single day because my guess is that most of us probably in here have a job we've got a career and some of us at times have a long weekend and we get up on Monday morning and we kind of scratch our head and think man I don't really want to go to work but I'm guessing that we get our shoes on, get in the car and go to work because we've got bills to pay and there are some expectations in the office for us, right? I see a lot of heads shaking out there. If we can do that for work, church, we can do that for our almighty God. Now, maybe you fall into the third category, which is, well, I'm just not the emotional type. <laughs> I don't have a lot of emotion going on. That's just not me. I, I want to paint a picture for you for just a minute. Imagine a Saturday morning blue sky dotted with fluffy white clouds and there's a gentle breeze blowing your way. It's about sunny and 75. You're meeting a couple of friends at the lake and you jump in that that bass boat and you go out on the lake to do a little bit of fishing. And today's the day you hook that nine-pound bass you've been trying to catch. You're reeling him in, you feel the tug, you know it's an exciting moment. You get into the boat and then you get it in, and my guess is you're grinning ear to ear as they video your reaction to you catching that massive fish finally, and you're excited about that, but you might not be a fisherman. Maybe maybe you're a golfer. Same day. You're out on the golf course and you finally make your way to that par three where you, you break out the eight iron. You tee up the ball and then you hit the straightest shot that you think you've ever made and it falls about 15 feet in front of the hole, rolls and in the hole. It's a hole in one, your first ever. My guess is the video is gonna show you about three feet off the ground, throwing your your iron into the air and praising God for what he's done for you that day, right? Don't tell me you don't have emotion. I've seen you at college football games, okay? (laughs) I know you've got emotion. But I find it so interesting that Why do Christians think that enthusiasm for the most incredible God somehow needs to be carefully contained and quieted? Church, we serve an incredible God. And we're called to worship him joyfully. But also, the psalmist calls us to to serve him gladly, serve God gladly. In verse 2, we recognize that God wants more than fans, He wants followers. You see, we should respond to God not only with emotion, but we should respond to God with motion. Not only emotion, but motion. Have you ever asked somebody to do something, uh, something for you in a service kind of way, and you get the slumped shoulders, you get the eye roll, you get the hands up in the air? I just described every teenager in America, right? There were times when our boys, you know, it would be, trash came twice a week, and we told them this. This is their job. But interestingly, they forgot. Every single week, I have to remind them, do you take the trash to the, oh, dad, I'm playing my game. It's, the trash needs to go out. Oh, fine. Take the trash out. Or, or maybe it's, it's Saturday morning and it's time to mow the grass. Man, I was going to spend time with my friends today. Well, you can after you mow the yard. Oh, fine. And they're serving, but they're not doing it very happily. Not very gladly. There's a couple of stories in the the Old Testament that remind us of that kind of mentality. We're called to serve gladly. One of those can be found in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is coming to somebody's house. And... They've been preparing for this all week long. I mean, they've got the, the awesome family recipe casserole is in the oven. The, the baked bread is wafting through the air. It smells great. The house has been cleaned. Jesus shows up. And Martha is in the kitchen, and she is busy serving and working and working up a sweat until finally, 25 minutes in, she realizes Mary is not in the kitchen with her. Where is Mary? And she sticks her head around the corner to see her sitting on the couch with Jesus, laughing and cutting up and sharing a glass of iced tea. I don't know if that's what they had, but anyway. And Martha gets upset. She walks out into the living room. Jesus, can you make her come help me? I mean, I'm doing this all by myself. And we know people like that, don't we? Or maybe in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, the prophet. Jonah is an Israelite who despises the Assyrians. They're the world power at the time, and they're very, very violent people. They've done horrible things to other nations as they've conquered them. And God says, I want you to go tell that nation about me so that they will ask for forgiveness and I can forgive them and and Jonah says, uh, I don't think so. And he gets in a boat, and he heads towards Spain. While he's out in the Mediterranean, a big storm comes up, and the crew realizes finally that it's Jonah that's causing the, ha- the, uh, the chaos. And so they throw him over the side. He's swallowed by a big fish, spit back up over in Israel on dry ground. And God said, I think I told you I wanted you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says... I'll go, but I don't want to go. Because what's going to happen is I'm going to get over there, tell them the story of how awesome you are. They're going to ask for forgiveness, and you're going to forgive them, and I don't want that to happen. We know people kind of have that spirit about them, don't we? They don't serve very gladly. Joni ends up going, and we don't know the end of that story. He ends up going, and they do ask for forgiveness. God does forgive them. And we have to be reminded, you know, you don't have to be gloomy to be holy. You don't have to be down in the mouth to be excited about Jesus. You know, God wants us to be very excited and joyful about every aspect of our life, all the moments that we have to to serve those around him for his glory. Paul knew that this went as deep as giving of your own resources. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 6, beginning, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or, or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. In the original language in Greek, that word cheerfully can be translated hilarious. I love that idea, don't you? I mean, I want to live in such a way that people around me think I'm absolutely crazy. Man, that guy is in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go again. Whatever it takes, I want my life to be lived in such a way that there is no shadow of a doubt that I serve an awesome God and that I love His Son, Jesus Christ. We're called to serve gladly. Thirdly, we're called by the psalmist to love God intelligently. The first word in verse 3 is uh, we need to know or acknowledge. And Christians should exercise our minds in falling in love with Jesus and who he is. Again, back to Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Jesus himself says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, everything that you have about you that you can offer God as worship, that's what I want you to do in every way. And in Paul's letter to that Roman church in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think about life around you. And the apostle Peter does the same thing. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, get to know who it is that you're falling in love with. Exercise your mind. He wants us to think deeply about spiritual things. And according to Psalm 100, there are a couple things that we should know about our incredible God. Number one, you should know his lordship. Bottom line, he's God, we're not. And what he's called us to do, how he's called us to live, should be the ultimate end of the line, end period story. That should be it. And can I say right here too, church, there is only one God, and there is only one way to get to God, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of people that we need to know and be a part of. You see, we're His craftsmanship. He made you. You are not a human accident. You are a divine incident. And God wants to use you in His story, maybe in ways that you never thought possible, that you never thought He could. We need to know his lordship. Secondly, we need to know his ownership. The text says we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. How are we part of who God is claiming to be? Two ways. One, he created you. He owns you. Secondly, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he bought you with his son's blood. He owns you both ways. He created you and he's bought you. And Paul knew that down to the nth degree. Paul absolutely affirmed all of that. In his letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, and verse 38, Paul says, I am convinced, in other words, I know without a shadow of a doubt that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Church, that's a hallelujah moment. I mean, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can pluck you out of God's hand. You are His child. Amen. And we should live out of gratitude every single day for what He's done for us, which leads us to the fourth idea in our text, and that is we need to thank God consistently and every day. If you would, I, I, wanna, I want you to help me out here. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to paint a picture. Don't go to sleep, but I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I know it's been an early morning for some of us. But go ahead and close your eyes, and I want to paint a picture for you a moment. Imagine yourself standing in Jerusalem. You're on a busy street that's right in front of this beautiful, huge temple. There's a blue sky. as a backdrop. You can hear people and animals behind you as they walk past. People coming in and out of their homes and in and out of their businesses. And as you gaze downward from the temple, you're now looking at the the temple courts in front of you that has all the different areas where different people can come and worship a mighty God. And now at the very entrance of the courtyards are the Levitical priests who are saying to you, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his holy name. You can open your eyes. Were you there for a minute? You know, that's what we do every single time we're together collectively as God's people. We come together to worship an almighty God with one voice. We come together to serve him and one another. We come together to love on one another and express our love for him. We come together to thank him for what he's done for us. And in verse 5, the psalmist tells us three things that we can be absolutely thankful for every single day of our life. And one is he is a good, good father. He is absolutely merciful to each one of us. And he is faithful in all of his promises. What if you and I made a decision today, moving forward, that every single day we're going to live by Psalm 100? What if we made the decision that my life is going to be a life of service and worship and gratitude because of everything that God has done for me what if on a Monday morning when you head to work and whether you're at, uh, at the bank working or you're at the gas station or you're in your cubicle at the office wherever you might be that you're going to say today I'm, I'm working but I'm serving God in this process as I interact with people I'm going to remember that I'm God's creation and I'm going to treat them accordingly well, what if What if today you started saying, you know what, I'm going to spend more time with my spouse and my kids than I ever have before because what a blessing they are to me and I need to let them know that. What if every time you raised your hands in in worship and prayer, you did so saying, God, I'm thanking you for what you've done for me. What if you had the chance to live life all over again? What would you change? My hope is this morning that you will have a resolution, that you will make a decision that I want to be different, that I want to love God with everything that I have, that I want to worship Him, that I want to serve Him, that I want to love on Him, that I want to be thankful for what He's done for me every single day of my life. Because, church, we serve a good, good Father who is absolutely merciful to each one of us, And he's faithful in all the promises that he's ever made to us. This morning as we sing this next song, I'm going to ask our shepherds and their wives to gather around this room. They'll be on the walls of the room. And I'm I'm hoping that as we sing, that that maybe there's some here this morning that you have said yes to Jesus somewhere along the way, but you've been distracted by the worries and the, the anxieties of life. Go find one of our shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you that you would release that so that you can live into the worshipful style that we're called to in in Psalm 100 every single day. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Today's the day you could do that. Say yes to his lordship, baptized into his name, come up out of that water full of the Holy Spirit, ready to, to join in with what God's doing in the world around us. That's the challenge today. I hope that you'll accept it from God Almighty, Psalm 100. Let's stand and sing with one voice as a family of God.